Hey guys, before we get started today, I wanted to remind you that the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny is fueled by Gatorade. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Also, Organized Chaos is ESPN's newest podcast, hosted by former NFL coach Rex Ryan and his former Jets and Ravens linebacker, Bart Scott. The duo will be reunited in this weekly podcast with new episodes every Monday that will provide listeners with expert insights and analysis on everything happening around the league, featuring trending stories from on and off the field. That's Organized Chaos. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks trail technique means walking through the woods and stopping every two seconds to pee. I don't know how he does it. He like saves it somehow and bides his time. That's Lenny, of course, who I'm talking about. I'm Mina Kimes, and I am joined this week by someone who also has a podcast, a very good one. I feel like most people who listen to this show subscribe, but if you don't, you should. It's Bill Barnwell. Welcome back to the show, Bill. Thought you were going to say someone who saves his pee for the woods, which I was a little concerned about for a lot of reasons. <laughs> well, I don't know what your your hiking habits are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, so by the way, that's Lenny barking in the background. That's not Dan Orlovsky, if anyone's wondering. And okay. for anyone who's, who's listening and wondering, that's a reference to the fact that I learned this week that my colleague Dan Orlovsky on NFL Live has the ability to bark like an actual dog. And I'm not. I want to just be clear. I am not overselling this. No, not at all. I mean, you not only did it, was it 100% accurate, but it also filled in a lot of what I think we were confused about when it comes to Dan. Like, interest in really any food that's very bland. Dogs (laughs) like all kinds of bland human food, too. So it makes perfect sense. It fits perfectly together. The night before, we had all gotten dinner because we were working at night, and they got us Chipotle. And Dan ordered three bowls with chicken cheese and rice which is not a thing i know you can get from chipotle anyways and it, yeah he does eat the kind of food you give to dogs when you're sick um i love him though i love dan orlowski shout out dan orlowski bill i'm excited you're coming on this is so i people are wondering why this is late and didn't catch it last week uh i am traveling on wednesdays i'm back in la now and i'm gonna be looking ahead every week to the coming slate of games and yeah i try to mix it up and talk about teams that I haven't talked about just mix I don't know I don't want to always talk about the Chiefs so I'm not talking about Ravens Chiefs even though it's probably the biggest game although I feel like that game's lost a little bit of luster maybe after the the Ravens lost to the Raiders certainly I I texted you this and I was like it's more that I don't want to talk about the Chiefs because I feel like I have nothing interesting to say about the Chiefs Mm, I think the only thing I have to say about the Chiefs is boy they are a different defense without Tyron Matthew that's true yeah that is absolutely true um and frank clark's like me too right and i was like nah actually mostly, nah, frank, mostly. Nah, maybe maybe in the playoffs um true yeah and willie gay jr so yeah ha- having those players back will make a big difference um especially against the ravens by the way oh now we're talking about the game all right I'll, yes, we we'll talk about it a little bit at the end um the first game i want to talk about so i i, I want to talk about things they haven't already and it's kind of a weird mix of games this week by the way it's mm-hmm. like there's no real other than I would say Chiefs Ravens, probably not Ravens Chiefs would have been the real like marquee game. But otherwise, it's like an interesting mix of interconference matchups. And what I wanted to start with was Rams Colts because um, mm-hmm. I didn't talk about the Rams week one. And they had obviously a very dominant performance against the Bears and the Colts lost to my Seahawks. And I think it feels like two teams where like the sentiment is probably headed in different directions. 
um, based on week one. So I guess this is a good time to kind of assess whether those sentiments are exaggerated. Uh, mm-hmm. And let's start with the Rams offense and the Colts defense, because I felt like the Rams offense to me, based on the week one, was more, I feel like I learned a little bit more about the Rams offense, perhaps, than the Rams defense, which played the Bears offense. Um, yes. And, and, but it's weird because I say I learned a lot, but like the Rams offense kind of looked exactly like what everyone thought it would look like. Was there anything about Matthew Stafford in Sean McVay's offense and how he was utilized that surprised you at all? I mean, hmm. surprise, no, because like everything about this kind of feels like from Sean McVay's perspective, like, like the guy who broke up with someone and then bought like a new car to like try and get over like the his old flame and so like he's driving past his old girlfriend's house with his new car and his new girlfriend being like look what i can do like the second pass <laughs> matthew stafford was like was like a 55 yard yeah. bomb from the left hash to the right numbers like oh jared goff you can't do that weird oh my new quarterback can do that wow <laughs> um i mean not really like i i think it's pretty clear that this is going to be something more like the offense from a couple of years ago for the Rams, I think, yeah. where I think it's going to be basically the same personnel every snap where we had Daryl Henderson was playing pretty much every single snap. I think Sonny Michelle got one carry in this game. Um, Tyler Higby was an every down player at tight end. That wasn't even the case a couple of years ago when they had Gerald Everett. Like back in the day, four years ago, back in the day, when this Rams team was like at their sort of first peak with Jared Goff, it was. 10 of the 11 guys staying on the field 95% of the time. And they're going to rotate that third wide receiver spot. You're going to see some Van Jefferson who had a long touchdown. You're going to see some Deshaun Jackson. Of course, you want to keep Deshaun Jackson healthy after he got hurt uh, pretty much for all of the past two years. Um, but I think you're going to see a lot of 11 personnel from this football team. And yeah. I I think that probably is good. Like, I think, you know, with this offense, like, they're going to live or die based on Matthew Stafford. And I think in years past, I I don't know how much they actually believed it when they sat down at night, but <laughs> when, you, when you'd ask Sean McVay, like what he would tell you is, oh, we're a run-heavy team. We're built around the run. We're built around being a tough football team. That's not what this team is going to be. That's not how they're going to succeed. They're going to run the ball here and there, but like in reality, this is going to be a team that passes and passes a lot. And I think... They, they, you know, they were not an effective running game against the Bears, which maybe isn't all that much of a surprise. I think the Bears' strength is going to be their front seven, um, and they're much weaker in the secondary. And the the Rams were effective throwing the ball. So I, I, I think we just got kind of our beliefs confirmed about what this offense can be. We know it's going to be explosive. We know they're going to have more downfield passing opportunities. I, I don't think there was much concern that Matthew Stafford was going to be like was going to struggle in this offense. But I also think I want to see them against a team that can tackle better, a team that's not starting uh, Kindle Vildor as one of their starting cornerbacks. And mm. I mean, yeah. And I just want to see like like a a more complete, more put together defense against this Rams team. But I don't know if the Colts are that defense right now. Yeah, that is, I think that, that would have been like a sexier matchup before last week, the Rams offense versus the Colts defense, right? Because the Colts defense was so solid last year. Mm-hmm. And I think coming out of the Seattle game, I mean, look, Seattle is going to be, I, I believe what we're going to talk about that team actually later, probably one of the more explosive and difficult to stop offenses in the NFL 
like the Rams, <laughs> but um, there's concerns uh, on that side of the ball. But but just sticking with the Rams offense for a second, I think yeah, you're you're right to point out. I had the same takeaway, which is yeah, this basically looks like the 2018 offense. Um, you know, they had 11 personnel 72 percent of the time, which I think is about mm-hmm. maybe a little bit less than that. Like they used to do it yes. so such an extreme extent, but then they dialed it back a lot, and we're using 12 quite a bit more in like 19 and 20. And I feel like they're skewing back towards 11. It was interesting to me that Van Jefferson was the guy who caught that bomb. Cause there was some, he was a high draft pick and he didn't really do much as a rookie. Um, right. You know, it, it, sort of Josh Reynolds ended up being wide receiver three. And I think then they went out and drafted Tutu Atwell, who's kind of, I, I've been calling him Deshaun Jackson insurance. Um, which I kind of think that is what you know his role is in this team, but they really like I, I think there there's always been the belief that Van Jefferson can can be a deep thread, and he's not just like a you know that polished kind of coach's kid type <laughs> player. And um, yeah, so I think it was notable. The other thing I was watching for particularly in the Bears game, uh, and I think will be important in this Colts matchup was the Rams' offensive line. You know, which is like I would say the performance kind of dipped it improved last year after falling off in 2019 mm-hmm. had some injuries but you know this year like brian allen the center was not supposed to be the center and then he's by the way very small he's like that <laughs> a six foot one or something anyway so he he won the job in camp and i was curious to see how he would hold up because you know for all of the bears issues in the secondary they still have a pretty terrifying front and i thought the rams offensive line looked good and I don't know. I mean, the Colts were able to get a fair amount of pressure against Seattle. DeForest Buckner is still very good. I think Quiddy Pay, the rookie, uh, looks like a force. But mm-hmm. I don't think the combination of the Rams' like system in their offensive line, like the the fact that it's so hard, the, the nature of the offense makes it hard to get pressure because of the uncertainty and all that. I just don't see Indianapolis in particular presenting a huge problem for them up front. I mean, I think if it does happen where they are a problem, I think we're sitting here saying, man, DeForest Buckner just was incredible. And like, he's, he's their best pass rusher at this point. Like Quiddy Pie might turn into that guy or, you know, they might be able to generate pass rushes with pressure. I know they got, um, I think it was Kari Willis got a sack right before that Tyler Lockett play where he <laughs> was, uh, he had you a know, rough one, <laughs> melted into the ground. But I mean, he had a sack on the play before, and I think like yeah. they may have to bring more pressure because I don't have as much confidence they're going to get pressure with their front four. And I think Buckner uh, against Brian Allen against those guards, I think he has to be like a superstar for them to have success against the Rams on offense. And I think that. Um, you know, one of the reasons that the Rams did go out and make that big move for Matthew Stafford was the idea that when things do break down, when their offensive line does struggle, that Matthew Stafford is going to do a better job than Jared Goff was. And I think we saw a little bit of that in week one, but I think the real test for that is going to be later on in the season where they play Tampa in week three. So I think Tampa Ooh. is the like, that's like the first test of like, okay, what happens when you're playing a front four that can get home a ton where you're going to have yeah. this you're not expecting? Like, I think that is the kind of game where Jared Goff would have struggled and the kind of game where I think they're counting on Matthew Stafford to be a difference maker. That, that's um, a really I great point. I don't know that we'll say that this week. 
Yeah, no, that's a really good point because your analogy about like him taking the Ferrari out for a spin or whatever, it kind of felt like he was doing it on like an open track. <laughs> like, yes, it's like, yes, Max Stafford can make this crazy 55 yard oppo hash throw. But, you know, Van Jefferson's like he's wide open and Cooper Cup was wide open. And again, he I'm not saying that every quarterback can make those throws. I thought the Woods touchdown was actually the most impressive throw. Do you remember that one at the back of the end zone? Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, he was under a bit of pressure. And but I think you know the other thing you saw with Stafford that they also wanted separately from Goff, or as a departure from Goff, wasn't just the arm talent and the ability to, be, to create, but the lack of turnovers. Um, and that was something that jumped out to me in the in the Chicago game. Did, you know, there, he just never put the ball in harm's way, which is not something he's always avoided in the past. Um, and, and as concerned as, as you, as much as you and I are like, eh, I don't know about this Colts front. Um, they still have a very good linebacker group struggled a bit against Seattle, but, um, they, you know, they're, go- they, they still present something of a test. And I do think those safeties, I, gosh, it wasn't just Willis, Justin Blackman also had a mm-hmm. tough time in the Seattle game, but they're good. They're talented. Oh God. Even Kenny, uh, Kenny Moore. Was he, it was, he, Metcalf had him. I feel like DK Metcalf is like a foot taller than him. <laughs> and that was, mean. and yeah, I don't know. The the whole Colts secondary, you know, they're missing Xavier Rhodes, who I don't know if yes. he's going to be back. Um, That would be helpful, but I just, I'm not sure that they have the personnel to keep up with them. Um, I think they're going to get better. I, I, I mean, I, I think the defense is going to be better than what we saw, especially as Quiddy Pay. Mm-hmm gets better you know what i mean who, who already is like very exciting and explosive but um right. the rams are just a very difficult test on and then on the other side of the ball bill That's the problem. I mean, yeah <laughs> i don't know why i chose to talk about this game first i should have chosen something like very like evenly i it felt evenly matched like two weeks ago when i was looking at the schedule right okay so just let's just let's just get it like what what was your takeaway from watching carson wentz week one okay so we talked about this a little bit um before the show and i i feel like it's not one thing like there's not one simple explanation for how carson Wentz played but if i think the i want to give you like the broadest possible explanation is that he was inconsistent i mean i think there were snaps where he looked good especially early in the game like like i think you had said you felt like he was best in the first quarter, and he was. I think he was 9 of 10 on his first 10 passes and was like moving the ball, generally had his eyes up, wasn't looking at the rush, yeah. was confident in his decisions. It felt like the kind of guy where, like, he had, you know, they had a script. I don't know if they do script out their first 15 snaps, but it felt like those are the plays that were most likely to be scripted where he felt most confident about what he was going to see and what they were running. And that was great. As the game wore on, the offensive line was struggling, and it kind of felt like we saw more of the old Carson Wentz, where he was struggling to uh, make make like just sort of pull the trigger on opportunities that were there. He was, you know, uh, looking down at the rush and letting it bother him before it was even yeah. a problem. And, and I think like it all kind of meshes together, where more than one thing can be an issue. And I, I was talking with you about the fourth and one play, where um, who was it? On the Seahawks was it Taylor? Daryl Ta- Taylor versus Braden Smith. Yeah, yeah Daryl Taylor annihilated Braden Smith, which <laughs> just like it's a great play. And like if you're just watching the game, you might say, okay, well, Daryl Taylor just blew up the right tackle. That's why that play failed. And yes, it sucks if your right tackle is 
uh, buried 10 feet under the ground by another player. But Carson Wentz still had 2.9 seconds on that play to throw the ball on fourth and one before he was touched. And on fourth and one, you're running quick game. You're not running like yeah. a downfield shot play. So like you can get the ball out expecting that you're going to see pressure. And Carson Wentz had a open running back in the flat on the side of the progression he was working to and did not get the ball out. And that's on Carson. Like I know the right, like, yes, it's better if your right tackle doesn't get destroyed, but like you need to know the situation. And I think when it's year six, seven for Carson Wentz, like he should be better than that at this point. And I think the other tough part for this game is that Carson Wentz's track record is that he's not a big downfield passer. Like he will take a shot here and there very occasionally, but he hasn't been an effective downfield passer and he's not a frequent downfield passer. And so Outside of, I think, his two peak years, his yards per attempt had been below league average. They were significantly below league average last season. And the second half of this game, the Colts' drives started on the 12-yard line, the 12-yard line, the 14-yard line, Mm. the 25-yard line, the 10-yard line, and then one drive from the 45 after the Chris Carson fumble that Carson Wentz promptly fumbled back on a uh, failed exchange on fourth and one. I mean, like, if you're not going to hit deep shots, and the Colts, to be fair, don't have a ton of, like, devastating deep weapons, and you're not playing consistent football, like, you're struggling with your footwork, you're struggling to get protection, you're not going to score. That's what happens to the Colts in the second half of this game, and I think, from the Rams' perspective, like, I I don't think we have to see their best offense or, like, some crazy game from Aaron Donald to win this game. I think they just have to kind of hold serve and let the Colts self-destruct. Tell me how you really feel about... Carson Wentz. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Like it's so he, he averaged 2.92 seconds to throw, which was the sixth longest in the NFL in week one. And, you know, before ahead of him are a lot of dual threat guys, right. Who where the numbers get skewed. And then right. I went back and looked at last year. Philip Rivers was the sixth fastest time to throw. There's like a little bit of a parallelism there that I, I thought made me think about how, quarterbacks make their offensive lines look better or worse. And I was thinking mm-hmm. about that watching Wentz. Like, you, you know, you mentioned the guy who got blown up was Braden Smith. And look, he got blown up. I mean, Daryl just, Taylor just bull rushed him into the ground. But it wasn't just Julian. So the left tackle situation in Indianapolis, I think I wrote, is untenable to you. Um, right now it's Julian Davenport. And then, you know, they had Sam Tevy and that didn't work out. And Eric Fisher is still not healthy yet. Um, it's a huge problem. But watching the game, I was struck by, I was uh, I was like, man, like they're kind of all getting beat at points. Like Brayden Smith mm-hmm. just got paid a ton of money and he struggled. Yes. And I, I, I just think, I was thinking like, you know, we've thought about this Colts offensive line as being dominant for so long because they've had Quentin Nelson and Smith and Kelly and whatever and have done such a good job drafting and developing and, or, and signing in some cases. They had Glowinski, who was from Seattle, and I realized, like, wow, Carson Wentz is going to make their jobs a lot harder if he doesn't get the ball out quicker. And I think that's my biggest concern with this team is when 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 the Wentz trade happened, there was this thought like, oh, great, this is the perfect situation for him because he gets to play behind this brick wall and he's a guy who panics under pressure and now there's not even pressure. And watching them versus Seattle, which, you know, we'll talk about again, is not like the best pass rush. I was like, I was thinking to myself, wow, like uh, this is not a perfect situation and he's making it worse. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, this was advertised as being one of the better run games in the NFL. And I think, I wonder in this particular matchup against a Rams defense that is inclined to give up the run. And by the way, did struggle against Chicago in that regard. 
I mean, for sure, to some degree, if Indianapolis is going to go with a super run heavy game plan to try to at least, you know, keep Carson Wentz on his feet. Yeah, I mean, like, I think what was concerning for me is in the first half of this game when it was closer, it wasn't, you know, the Seahawks were pretty comfortable the entire time. But first half of this game was closer. Yeah, I mean, like we saw the Colts running like, you know, like a lot of quick game, a lot of screens. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. Second half, Colts start trailing. They're running quick game and a lot of screens. Like it kind of felt like when they got down, there was no answer. And so I sort of feel like they have to go run heavy and hope that they can keep the game close. Because if they go down by 10 points, it's just tough to see Carson Wentz. As I say this, I realize I feel like Carson Wentz is going to lead them back from like a big victory. (laughs) But like if they go down by double digits, it just feels like it's going to be so hard, maybe even impossible for them to catch up. Um, I, I said at the beginning, like, you know, I don't feel like we didn't learn that much about the Rams defense. Do you, did, did watching them, was it there anything that struck you about this? Cause you know, we've been wondering, is this defense going to be different? They have a different Raheem Morris is coordinating now. John Johnson and Troy Hill are gone. Um, Justin Hollins was super active in the bears game. He's now outside linebacker opposite Leonard Floyd Ram, Rams preseason start Justin Hollins watching them did did they seem different to you other than the only thing that really jumped out to me is just like Jalen Ramsey I mean he ha- he has played all over the field for this team for a while but it felt like in the, that in the Bears game he was really like all over I don't even was he outside at all like he seemed to be primarily on the inside like did anything jump out to you and anything that you think might uh I guess be a potential issue I mean I, I think the secondary corners um i think the corners that are not jalen ramsey and i think you look at the bears like they're such a perfect matchup for the rams because they have one superstar receiver that you can stick jalen ramsey on and feel like you're going to be fine and with the colts like they have no superstar receivers but they have three guys who are kind of at the same level in in Pittman, campbell and uh zach pascal who actually caught two touchdown passes in this game and you know i think when you get to the bucks game in week three i think that's where you're really going to see the concerns because you're going to have Chris Godwin or Antonio Brown versus, you know, Darius Williams was good last year. So I'm not too concerned about Darius Williams, but like David Long is going to have to be, yeah. play a big role in that game. And I think that's where I would start getting worried. So I, I, I don't think much yet. Like I think that on paper, it was a great matchup for the Rams defense and it kind of played out the way we would have expected. Like if anything, I think maybe you're a little concerned about the running game, but it didn't matter in the big picture. Like, you know, Aaron Donald was merely good as opposed to like, you know, swallowing Andy Dalton whole, but I, I have no doubt that 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 Aaron Donald's going to be great in the weeks to come. Like it's just a matter of you know having a a very good week versus a defensive player of the week caliber week. Yeah, I think this is one where I'm going to really be curious to see how the run defense looks in this particular matchup. Um, yeah, so let me ask you. Yeah. Before we finish up this game, if the Colts win this game, what's the story? <laughs> uh, like how does it happen? Yeah. I think it would have to be Matthew Stafford throwing. I think DeForest, but like you said, DeForest Buckner would have to really, really eat inside against like Brian Allen and the guards. And I think Darius Leonard, maybe force some fumbles. Like there's definitely a strip sack or two. Darius Leonard is the Rams run rushing attack gets bottled up. Um, you know, the Colts are going to try to keep everything in front of them. And then I think the Colts run the ball really effectively. 
which I don't think is impossible. The, the no, running not, part. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. I, like they're four point underdogs. Like it's not crazy to think that they could win this game, but it just was not, it was just like, like the week one performance just was not. Yeah. It's not. Enthusing from the perspective. Right. Yeah. Notice I didn't say Carson Wentz leads this like crazy, you know, I just no don't see that. Um, all right, well, let's go to a game where it's two teams that are both trending up after week one. And that's the Raiders and Steelers. Um, mm. Yeah. I, right. Like I think that's arrows pointing up. And this is a game, too, I think, well, or maybe before the season, I would have been like, eh, I don't know about this. I, I find it more interesting now. Um, the Raiders' offense versus the Steelers' defense. Uh, I mean, just look, The I would have put the Ravens' defense in the group as, of, like, scariest defenses in the NFL. But I think watching them against the Raiders, you're, I, you know, you're really struck by the absence of Marcus Peters. Maybe the pass rush isn't quite as scary as you had feared. Meanwhile, the Steelers' defense is freaking terrifying. Like I, I, if there's anything about this team, I underestimated it's that secondary in particular, which I thought was going to be a real weakness for the team does not look, did not look like one in week one against Buffalo when they were having all their defensive backs on the field guys, guys like Cam Sutton playing Cameron Sutton playing out of their minds. Um, Fitzpatrick. So if you're, Las Vegas, you're very different from Buffalo. Buffalo rolled into that game. I'm not going to talk about them this week, but, you know, so many four and even five wide receiver sets mm-hmm. against the Steelers. I'm, I don't expect to see the game same game plan. If you're the Raiders team that is very different, um, very much more, you know, run heavy, what would be your approach to playing Pittsburgh, which I suspect will take a different approach this week? And last week, we should, I should also add, they didn't blitz at all. I don't think that's going to happen this week. I think the blitz I, will be back. I mean, I think they're going to blitz more than like 2% or whatever their crazy blitz rate was in week one. Right. But like, I mean, we saw what they did against the Ravens, right? Like their their game plan for the first half was, hmm, maybe we should throw it to Darren Waller. Like, let's give let's give Darren Waller a shot at making a play here. And, and I think that's where you start. I think you start with Darren Waller and I think you start with Hunter Renfro. I think you start with your guys working the middle of the field because... Um, you know, the Steelers are super talented, uh, but I think you want to challenge their linebackers in coverage. I, I don't think you want to challenge Minka, who played, by the way, a lot more near the line of scrimmage, more in like a, yeah. a slot corner role and more in a, a strong safety role than like the traditional free safety he played like, you know, the first two years with the Steelers. And I mean, people forget it now, but he was a slot corner for the Dolphins before he went to Pittsburgh. Um he was playing that role a lot more frequently against the Bills on Sunday. Like I think Trey Norwood, their rookie seventh rounder, played really well. I'd still want to have like Hunter Renfro versus Trey Norwood and see if I'm going to get some opportunities there. Um, and, and I think I would not, and this is going to sound really dumb and simple, but it's the truth. Like TJ Watt destroyed the Bills. Like he yeah. just beat them up. And and Brian Dable, who did an excellent job last year. His reaction was okay. We're going to spread them out, go four and five wide, and you know, and try to get the ball out before TJ Watt and Cam Hayward can get home. And I don't think the Raiders should approach it that way. I, I think going four and five wide against the Steelers definitely works sometimes, but did not work last week. And I would, I think, for the Raiders, I think I'd want to try and play heavier, and I think yeah. I'd want to try and get Darren Waller matched up against uh, physical mismatches. Yeah. Well, the thing about Darren Waller is like everything is kind of a mismatch for him, right? Like, right. Even as much as I just praise the Steelers secondary, I don't know. I mean, 
I, there's not many defenses around the NFL that have guys who can handle Darren Waller. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe Minka is that guy. And like, if it maybe. is, like, let's, you know, tip your cap. But like, I I would want to give that a shot. I think that's where you have to start because I think, you know, that is the guy who's going to fundamentally change how the Steelers approach. Like, if you can get the Steelers to start using TJ Watt to chip Darren Waller, like, you have a huge victory on your hands already. Yeah, this. I mean, the, the Ra- Raiders have, like, and this was really <laughs> certainly not uh, obvious in the first half where ever, Darren Waller is the only player targeted. But as the game went on, you were reminded of the fact that, like, oh, they have a lot of good skill players, right? Renfro, of course, but also... Rugs and Edwards finally got used as the game went on. Um, and the weakness of this team, Josh Jacobs looked good as well, assuming he's healthy. Kenyon Drake, they like using uh, as a receiving back. The weakness of this team is the offensive line. And um, that is, of course, the strength of the Steelers. Like, they don't, like, you're right, they don't really have to blitz to win much. But I agree with you. Like, you, I think you cannot count on the foot like having enough time to get the ball out without going you know using extra protection or leaving your fullback in ingled right or um and josh jacobs is a decent pass protecting back but like you got to do everything possible to keep Derek carr upright against this group and and you know you're going to find matchups that you can take advantage of with all of the aforementioned guys I just mentioned, you know, like if Minka locks up Waller, which I still like, I'm not really sure it's possible. Um, you have a bunch of other good skill players, even if there's less of them on the field. And I think that's the bet you want to make as Las Vegas. I think every team in the league should watch Buffalo and just be like, don't do that. Do the opposite of that against this particular team. Um, Mina, have you ever had a friend who like, you went to karaoke with and they were sober when they got there and they were like very like hesitant to sing and they didn't really do anything. <laughs> then they had a few drinks and then they were like the first people to like sing any song. Yes. That's what I feel like Derek Carr was in that week one game. Like for the first like 50 minutes, he's like, okay, I'm just going to throw to Darren Waller, like checking it down. And, like the last 10 minutes when they like, they needed like that two minute drill. And then in overtime, he was like, just chucking it downfield. And it was great. I'm like, why don't it you was, do this all the time? But it was weird. He was chucking it downfield in the first half. He was just woefully off target. Right. But then he was so good game. at it. He was yeah, so good second, at it. Final well, that's always been the thing with Carr is like he's just, he's normally like a very good deep ball thrower. It's mm-hmm. just always been about the willingness and his deep ball percentage has risen steadily over the last few years to highs last year's average yards per air yards per attempt, and he had great success. He's like statistically one of the best deep throwers in the NFL. Only it was to Aguilar, and they used Ruggs as a decoy, and you know that was a question coming into the season: Is he actually going to target Henry Ruggs? Well, it turns out yes, once. And <laughs> your 12th overall pick is going to get targeted once and uses a returner. But um, yeah, I I can't explain what happened in the Ravens game with Derek Carr. Um, I think so. So Denzel Good is out for the season. Um, so there's a He's bit of a, the season. I think I saw that somewhere. Actually, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I just so you said in such a surprise voice that now I want to make That's sure a, I'm not spreading. Yeah, torn ACL. That's yeah, it sucks. Um, you know, they do have some interior depth with John Simpson, who I think at one point they wanted to be a starter and incognito coming back at some point. Um, Alex Leatherwood had a little, you know, a little bit of a rough, rough night yeah. against Justin Houston. So yeah, as your reward, here are the Steelers. Um, 
that Steelers front. I mean, I just want to take a second, like, you know, cause we talked a little bit kind of about tactically what they, what they did against Buffalo, but mm-hmm. it's funny. I, I almost wonder if people are going to say, wow, that's how you stop Buffalo. No, it's not. No, it's not. If anyone's saying that, that's it's not because you don't have TJ Watt. You don't have Cam Hayward. Melvin Ingram turned back the clock, man. Mm-hmm. Like I did not think he would look this good, but um, this, I you know Devin Bush looked good too coming back. Mm-hmm. I, I just this is a very very good defense, and it's a very strong challenge for the Raiders offense. Uh, the Steelers offense, on the other hand. Yes. This is the part where every Steelers fan gets mad at me, even though I just praise the defense for whatever. I don't feel any differently about them than I did last year. Do, no. Did you see anything that changed your mind? No, not in the slightest. And that's the frustrating thing is like they had all offseason to address this and they got lucky. They got to bring Juju back, which we were not expecting. Yeah. Um, so they bring Juju back. They use their first round pick on Najee Harris. And the argument from Steelers fans over the offseason was, oh, okay, we got rid of all these offensive linemen, but you don't understand. They suck. Like having a bunch of like <laughs> mid-round picks and, well, no, uh, and like watching Villanueva like, there. I was like, our backups. I mean, sure, Villanueva did not have a good game against the Raiders. Um, but like this line was no better. And Poor Najee Harris, just like oh, you know, God. stepping in like I'm going to be a difference maker. I think his, I think he had like a half yard before he was getting hit for the yeah, first time. His average yards before contact were like a half yard, which is just not great. Um, I think the frustrating thing for me is that so they hired Matt Canada, they promoted Matt Canada to be their OC, and like Matt Canada's rep is like this guy who's like very creative with shifts and motions to try and like you know give you pre snap indicators, try and make your life easier as an offense, create some easy plays for you. They looked so static in this game. Like it really felt like, you know, there was a little bit of of pre-snap movement, but it wasn't like, you know, they were the Chiefs when it came to motion or anything. Like they were lining up, they were static, and then they were running the exact same concepts they ran last year in the second half of the season when Ben Roethlisberger couldn't throw the ball more than 10 yards with any sort of zip. And they hit a couple plays over the middle of the field off play action. They hit one fade to Claypool. Um the touchdown, like, yeah. Well, not, a, not even, yeah but like it uh, felt, oh, yeah. like 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 it just felt like such a slog, you know. Like it felt like it was. How would I put this? I can't imagine being a Steelers fan and having to watch this offense seventeen more times this year, sixteen more times this year. It's just like such a not fun thing to enjoy. So Colts fans, if you were angry about the last segment, look how Bill just talked now, and I feel like you should honestly, relatively, at least there was some optimism um yeah I, I they got it going a little bit in the second half against buffalo they, they that was the one thing i noticed was i felt like they were uh running more rpos mm-hmm. um which i assume is a canada th- you know thing and not something ben really did with any great frequency before and they had some success doing so i think what's what's such a bummer is like their skill players are obviously so good like chase claypool so good mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes. I want, it's not just Najee Harris. Like I want better for Chase Claypool. Um, and when they're able, when they're ever able to get the ball to him in space, good things happen. The question is whether that's possible. Now, you know, you're facing a Raiders defense that generated a surprising amount yes. of pass rush against Baltimore. And I think there's a reasonable question to ask how much of that was the Baltimore offensive line that, you know, a lot of it was coming on the outside. Yeah. Um, Versus like how much is Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby, both of whom are good pass rushers. But I think they should be able to sustain that against 
this Steelers offensive line. The only difference is Ben's going to get the ball out super, super, super quick. So I think that's the thing. Yeah, that is the thing. So with with this game, it's kind of like, okay, ball's coming out hot against these pass rushers. We know that. Um, can the Raiders be sound tacklers, frankly? Because everyone they're, everyone's going to do the same thing against this offense. Like every defense is going to take the same approach. Can the Raiders, corners, safeties, and linebackers be sound? Um, you know, are they not going to get shaken by Claypool, or, for mm-hmm. example, or Juju? I think that's really the question that's going to decide this side of the ball that's a tough part yeah and i feel like the steelers are just going to give them like 50 opportunities in this game to make tackles within six yards of line of scrimmage and they have to hit those tackles and we even saw i mean they thought they were they got better as the game went along against the ravens like lamar was a little Mm. sloppy um they missed some opportunities but they were better as the game went along but that first that long tyson williams touchdown came because they just didn't a gap like Corey Littleton just ran a gap over and Tyson Williams went right by him and then that was it like and we know the Steelers have those guys where if you give them an opportunity they can take it to the house like they have mm-hmm. probably four players with if you assume that Najee Harris can do that where like they can do that if you screw up and it feels like at some point given what they've done over the past year plus the Raiders are going to screw up um I would be concerned. I mean, I think I think Chase Claypool had a quiet game, not because he was disappointing or anything, just because he was up against Tredavious White for most of the game. Yeah. And the Raiders do not have a Tredavious White or anything close. Um, I I think absolutely this could be a game where like one of those guys has a super long touchdown just because the Raiders get in their own way. Yeah, I could see like so we know what the Raiders defense is going to do. They're gonna play a ton of cover three actually i think it was historic the percent of cover three they played in that i mean you know that's against the we're gonna have to pull the banner right next to the dvoa banner uh (laughs) at in in this in the stadium in seattle is a we played the most cover three in a game banner that has to come down now it was like 81 percent of the time or something something that it was like the highest yeah i saw it on our the stat slack it was like the highest of any game in like the last 10 years or something granted that's you know obviously against lamar jackson you're gonna see defenses play more zone anyways but um and they barely blitzed in that game i suspect both of those things you might see the dials turn a little bit in this matchup mm-hmm. but i think For you're sure. right i think like the way like you see the ravens scoring a touchdown is like i don't know juju on a slant right versus like it hits the seam and goes and the, I, I think that's where the the Steelers have an edge. It's their skill players versus the Raiders DBs. The question is simply: Can I ask you? Is the ball is going to get there? Yeah. Can I ask you a question about Week One touchdowns? Oh no. Okay. Wait, no, 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 nothing bad. Which <laughs> touchdown was more unlikely to you in Week One? Was it Zay Jones catching the game winner against the Ravens, or Chris Hogan catching the touchdown against the Packers? So I forgot Zay Jones was on the Raiders. Chris Hogan, I knew because I had made so many jokes about it. <laughs> so I'm going to go Zay Jones because when he caught it and I was like, seven. <laughs> I was like, Marquette King used to wear seven. <laughs> Is Marquette King now? Why? Um, and then, of course, Derek Hart gave that like great emotional 
uh, yes. little it was comment about him, which was terrific. Zay Jones, now famous for n- multiple things, being a Jedi, right? And of course, being able to get back to his feet. No one could forget that in Buffalo. And then catching that touchdown. Um, I assume, by the way, like they were comfortable letting John, I don't mean, I guess I don't know the circumstances of John Brown's departure, but Zay Jones is like, is that in that Z role? So mm-hmm. he, he's got some speed. Chris Hogan was just funny to me because, you know, we spent so much time talking about the Rod, the Packers and whether they had enough weapons. And meanwhile, you got a freaking lacrosse player catching a touchdown on the other side. It was just delicious. All right, let's take a quick break and, and talk about some games that, um, I think I, I actually think these might be a little bit more evenly matched. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Show. M-I-N-A-S-H. Okay, so I said these are evenly matched, but I really meant the next one because I don't, well, I don't want to. Okay, so can you guess which game I'm going to bring up? Uh, I'm assuming that you're saying that your, uh, according to you in the first segment, your quote unquote Seattle Seahawks are going to blow out the Tennessee Titans. I'm not saying that, but yeah, that's the game that I did not, the less evenly matched one. Although that, oh God, knock, I just knocked on a bunch of surfaces because <laughs> I don't, well, we'll get to that. Let's talk about Cowboys Chargers. I think this is a really good game. I did too. This is I'm one really I'm, I'm, I'm really pumped. You and I both watched the Chargers last night independently and we're sharing thoughts with each other. I really, I really enjoyed watching them, Bill. Um, like, I think they're going to be, you know, like the NBA, how they see like a league pass team. I feel like the Chargers are like the NFL. I mean, we already know sports media loves the Chargers and has a sick, twisted relationship with them. But I enjoyed watching them on both sides of the ball, too. I'll say that. Um, starting with like, let's just let's start with the Chargers offense against the Cowboys defense, because that's the more unbalanced um, matchup. Uh, the other side is uh, really interesting to me. But uh, 
I was so I I did I got it. You know, I saw highlights of Herbert and the interceptions and whatever, and some of the bigger plays. But watching this whole his whole performance against Washington Week One was really fascinating because it, there were like parts of it where parts of the game where he really looked like he did his rookie season, where you saw like the splash plays, the mm-hmm. bit, the crazy arm. You know, there's just things he does that not many quarterbacks can do, but. A lot of it just looked like very normal quarterbacking. <laughs> like, um, you know, so Joe Lombardi is the new coordinator, and mm-hmm. um, there's obviously some similarities with the Saints offense where he comes from, but um, it, it was like a very diverse, balanced offense. Yeah. And I mean, like, I am not a psychologist or a quarterback whisperer. <laughs> like, he felt very in control to me. Yes. In this game. And, and I think where it really stood out to me was on third down, where that offense, you know, w- with an offensive line that was not, it, it played really well, especially Rashawn Slater was awesome in that game. But yes. you mentioned Brian Balaga struggled. They had some penalties. They were in long. Also got blown up a few times. I was surprised by that. So right. the less, the like, less it wasn't, side was it wasn't yeah. right. It wasn't like they were just so dominant that Justin Herbert had forever to throw behind the, uh, behind them. Like they had good moments for sure. They also had moments where they were struggling and you would expect that against a Washington team that's built to basically destroy you with their first round picks on the defensive line on third and long. And yet Justin Herbert was incredible yeah. on third down in this game. I don't, I had the numbers on Twitter probably should have found them before. Highest talking about uh, it. EPA 1.21 expected points added on third downs as the highest in the NFL. And the, he was incredible. There's some there. better non-nerd numbers. I think he was like 15 for 18 or something bizarre. Like so. Right. Like I don't know, was, I don't know like, why I went straight to EBA there, but he was incredible. This is after I was criticized for using uh, total points when I did the podcast with Stephen Ruiz or whatever, where I didn't use EPA or DVOA or something. How dare you? Um, Justin Herbert was uh, 13 of 16 for 160, 11 first downs, and a touchdown. And one of the two, one of the three incompletions was a Keenan Allen drop. Uh, which was the one time Keenan Allen was not incredible he in, this so football game. in this game. He was so good. Like he could like, you know, Justin Herbert got help, but like that's the situation where certain young quarterbacks, and I don't want to name names or certain older quarterbacks, if we want to name Carson Wentz, just fall apart when things are going wrong, like on the road, close game, playing against a terrifying front offensive lines, not always playing all that well. Like some quarterbacks just melt down, and Justin Herbert was totally fine. And like I think, you know, you did a feature on him, of course. I know the the book on him coming out was someone who was like very sort of nonplussed. He wasn't rah rah. He wasn't Baker Mayfield, you know. And like that was, I think, portrayed in some places as a negative. But like this was a guy who looked so calm and collected in those moments in that game, and it felt like that's such a positive for a young quarterback to feel like. You know, I have the pieces around me, but also I'm going, I have the talent and the ability to get this done no matter what the situation is. And that won them the game. I mean, they were a little sloppy in the red zone. They had an unlucky penalty called against or lucky, uh, like fumble through the end yeah. zone called against Herbert that I thought was a terrible call. Yeah, and I, they, the other team did lose Ryan Fitzpatrick halfway through the game, but they would have lost this game if Justin Herbert was not as good on third down as he was. And I think that was the big takeaway was like, even if, they're not even at that like level of play is not sustainable. Like just having that sort of poise is going to serve you well on earlier downs when you're going to be better in the weeks to come as well. Yeah, I think he'll be better in earlier downs, but they also like kept things moving. Like he had 5.7 yards to go on third down, which was mm-hmm. fifth best in the NFL. Um, 
you know, they did not call, I think actually very few runs on first down, which was a stark contrast from the Anthony Lynn era in Los Angeles. Um, and, you know, the question with, oh, by the way, I, I pulled up the yards to go on third down because I wanted to see where Herbert ranked. Uh, mm-hmm. Guess how many average yards to go the Vikings had? On oh, no. <laughs> uh, I guess well, a lot. Twelve. Twelve. <laughs> I didn't even think that was possible because they had so many penalties. Um, the Vikings, both the Vikings and the Bills had six holding penalties. Oh boy, it's insane. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, I, I, it was like, like, I guess going back to Canada, I, I was like, yeah, this offense looks really like normal and diverse. And I mean, last year, so much of his success came on like crazy plays under pressure, mm-hmm. and he was less good when kept clean, which I think gave people some pause because that's a thing that tends to be less steady year to year as your play under pressure and. I think what was so promising in this game, especially against a very good defense, was how good he looked in a clean pocket on straight dropbacks. They used a fair amount of play action. I didn't grab the numbers, but mm-hmm. I noticed a few. But he, he, just like I said, like doing quarterbacky stuff, um, throwing to the short and intermediate areas of the field, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, wasn't. A lot of his best throws, I thought, weren't like crazy deep balls. Like last year, mm-hmm. he had a few of those, but um, just like short slants and screens and goes that were perfectly placed to set up his wide receivers, who are amazing, by the way, uh, for success. Like I, there were so many plays, like not just Keenan Allen, but like shorter throws to Guyton and mm-hmm. and Mike Williams that they were able to turn into first downs and, um. It just looks like an offense that's going to be successful against every type of defense. And certainly the Cowboys defense, which we should probably get to here. Um, Look, I agree with, I believe that they looked better than they did last year, which was not very difficult. They looked functional, but, you know, again, in the opener, the Cowboys defense also had, I think, what, four turnovers, right? And they still lost. And that's not going to happen again. The whole secondary absent outside of Trevon Diggs is an issue. Um, you know, Demarcus Lawrence was awesome, but other than him, still not really sure who's going to rush the passer. I guess Micah Parsons, you know, they can blitz him. I'll have some bad news for you, Mina. Demarcus Lawrence is now He's hurt? Uh, questionable. Oh, my Questionable God. with a foot injury suffered in practice today. Oh, my God. Uh, That's so bad. Oh, my had, God. Had to, cancel, had to cancel his news conference, which... You know your foot is hurt when you can't even do a news conference. I want to, I want to say something nice, which is I actually thought Trevon Diggs was really, really good in the. In he was, one. yeah. They shut down Mike Evans, but then I'm going to say something not nice, which is, oh my god, Anthony Brown. I mean, poor Anthony Brown, because Tom Brady <laughs> like just you know like took out his. I almost said stethoscope. It's not a stethoscope, like a a telescope, but an old timey one where you like pull them out that people have on boats. And he, you know what I'm talking about, right? Those ones where you like hold it up to your eye. Anyways, he, you he, need to get, you need to get Stephen Ruiz to take the Kyle Shanahan microscope and turn it into whatever that thing uh, is for Tom Brady. Well, whatever the device was, it was trained firmly on Anthony Brown. And I suspect like, I was just like, wow, the chargers have so many great skill players. So that it's not good when one team has a lot of really good skill players. I think Jared Cook also was great in this game. And he was totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. And the other team hey, has by the way, like and one good DB. Austin Eckler did not even get a single target 
in that game. We know Austin Eckler can catch weird. And this Cowboys team, the weird thing about this Cowboys team, maybe not too weird. Like like, I was surprised by this. Um, I mean, like surprise is the wrong word, but like something that I think people maybe don't realize about this Cowboys team is that Leighton Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith are the backup linebackers now. Like Keanu Neal and Micah Parsons were their starting linebackers. Van Der Esch played 20% of the snaps. Jalen Smith played 23% of the snaps. Like this is a team that I think they've invested in the wrong places. Their investments have not gone well. And they're so dependent on certain players being difference makers. And if they don't have Demarcus Lawrence, it's going to be a long day for that front four. So you're, it's like Randy Gregory and Dorrance. Randy Gregory is, is currently dealing with COVID. Oh I don't know if he's even going to play. Oh my God. Okay. So I don't even want to, that's so depressing. So the Cowboys best chance is scoring 5,000 points, which by the way is true every week and almost happened in week one. Yes. Um, that's not out of the realm of possibility. It, that is not outside out of the realm of possibility in literally any game, because I think this Dallas offense can be that good. Um, now they are also down <laughs> one Lyle Collins, who's out five weeks, I believe five with weeks. the suspension, but, um, and, well, Michael Gallup as well. and a Michael Gallup, but I, well, the Gallup part, well, though, gosh, he was really useful in this Bucks game. I don't think he'll have to be, I mean, he was, in this particular game, mm-hmm. yeah, so you're going to have to see CeeDee Lamb stepping up and not dropping the football. But I, I want to talk about the offensive line. So, because this is an I- interesting group that has like shuffled pieces a lot. They were missing Zach Martin week one. Now Zach Martin's back. Lyle Collins is out. I thought both of the guards, Connor McGovern came in for Zach Martin. He played really well against Tampa. And now I'm looking at them and, I'm, and they've got Collins out. And I'm wondering. Okay, you got a lot of guards. Who's a Brandon Ice? Probably their backup tackle. Yeah, I mean, or, do you or want Terrence Steele maybe? <sighs> or Terrence. Can Zach Martin go back to? Because didn't he play like a little tackle last year? He played a he played a little tackle last year. He was a college tackle. Like, like could they do that? Sure. I mean, it's one of those things where like I will bring that up and be like, yeah, that makes sense. And then when and then I talk an to offensive an offensive lineman, lineman yeah, like, they get so mad at me. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like, it just seems like it would make sense. He knows how to do it. You're all the same. Right. And like, well, I know like, like there's that. a reason they know better than me. Um, I mean, like, I, I, I don't think that's out of the question. And I think if it's, you know, like, it's not like it's a one week thing, right? Like if it was, well, Collins was going to be gone for a week, it's would say, okay, we'll just leave Zach Martin at guard. But like, you know, he's going to be gone for a month plus. And by the way, your starting quarterback is coming off of, uh, ankle surgery where his ankle turned 180 degree or, or you know the wrong direction like you need to protect him and then I, I keep mentioning Stephen Ruiz but like in his column on Dak he brought up like Dak was not 100% in week one like he played really well yeah. but like he looked like a guy who was still physically not all the way back from the guy he was before the ankle injury which is not surprising um, it, it's not like he can run his way out of trouble the way that maybe uh, other quarterbacks could have maybe that could a couple of years ago. Like I think you have to do a really sound job of protecting him. Um, what I wonder about in this game, Mina, and and I I want to know what you think about this is: Are the Cowboys going to treat Ezekiel Elliott like he's a, a speed bump, basically, like he's the guy who's the like the afterthought in between? His best Dak skill now. At times, <laughs> is that his best? I skill? I don't I I don't mean that. Ahead. That was mean. I well, 
he's very good in pass protection. <laughs> he is. Um, and then they they need it. They need it. So, I. I, I think they're going to run the ball more. and I'll, I well, Yeah, I think the Chargers are going to invite them to run the ball more. Yes, they won't. That's exactly. That's the first half of what I was going to say. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're right. Like I'm, I'm happy you brought it up. Um, the second half, though, is that like if you were constructing an offense to try and beat the Bucks, you would want to avoid Vita Vea and Adama Kinsu, especially if your superstar guard was not healthy and was not playing. When Zach Martin was not playing. Now... What I thought, what I found really telling was that goal line sequence the Cowboys had against the Bucks. Um, I think it was in the third quarter, maybe before they kicked the field goal. Where first down, they ran his own read with Dak, where I think they kind of knew, based on how Tampa's ends were crashing, that Dak was going to keep it. And then on third down, they ran a speed option, where uh, I don't want to be mean to Zeke, but like it looked like me at like my elementary school dance like i just was not prepared i didn't know how to move my hands was, were in the wrong place that was like, brutal i, I, re- I remember was, that exact yeah. play yeah that was so brutal yeah it was awful and like it's just, just like okay we're not gonna run that play anymore that's fine but they were not confident enough from i think it was inside the five yard line on third down to just run power or run duo or run something in short yardage with zeke and that's not going to be the case this week like i think to keep Justin Herbert off the field, I think to take some of the workload off of Dak, which I think is a, not something I'd care about normally, but for a guy who's, you know, who's coming off of an ankle injury, coming off of a shoulder injury, like I don't think you want him throwing fifty-eight times a game early in the year right now. Um, I think it would make sense to run the ball more. I think you'll see Tony Pollard make sense as well, of course, but I do think you're going to see Zeke be a much more meaningful part of the game plan this week. Yeah, I mean that makes a ton of sense. I mean, the, I do think the Chargers have a solid run defense. I certainly looked that way in Week One. Um, mm-hmm. They're they like you know. So I was said they want you to run. That is, of course, like the nature of the Brandon Staley defense, right? But the presence, like Derwin James, my God, um, yes. <laughs> he was really good. He was everywhere. There were so many play. Pl- Points where I was um, pausing after a play to see who had made the play because I just didn't <laughs> see the jersey number, and I was shocked to see it was him. Um, I think I don't have where he was lined up, but he was—I'm pretty sure lined up in every possible position, maybe even long snapper at at one point or the other. Do you remember the ball where he was Diami Brown on a deep crosser? Do you? This was like fairly mm-hmm. early on, and I thought it was like a cornerback, and I'm like, "Wow, great play! Oh my god, that's Derwin James." <laughs> Did you have that experience as well, watching this game? I did see that play. I didn't look up who it was, but I was like, I do remember the player talking about. And He's freaking I'm not surprised. Incredible. Yeah, um, I, I think you're right. They're going to run more. They're absolutely going to run more in this game. Can I make a admission to the listeners of the Mina Kime show featuring oh, yeah. Lenny? Okay. It's a very old man admission, and I don't okay. want to do it on Twitter because I'm going to get burned for it. And I deserve to get burned for it. I hate the new number thing. I, no, I put this on Twitter. I tweeted, my goal junior was like, oh, people don't watch college football, don't like the numbers. And I was like, here's why I don't like the numbers, Mike. Because it makes my life a little bit harder. It does. That is why. 5% harder. It is not. I'm not even going to try to mount an aesthetic argument. I'm not going to try to make it a moral argument. I'm just going to say I'm tired of freaking having to look up numbers right now. We're watching The Sopranos. Damn you. 
we're rewatching The Sopranos right now in in my household, and uh, your Mike Golick Jr. impression sounds like a very respectable person on The Sopranos, which I appreciate. Um. Also, they're changing them constantly now. It's like on The Bachelor when there's like a, a Hannah B and a Hannah A, and then next week they take the initial off, and you're like, no, I knew you as Hannah A. That's how I feel. Um. Yeah, Darren James is incredible. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, they're going to run the ball. I totally agree with that. Um, also, um, whoever's playing tackle, I mean, Joey Bosa <laughs> is the other guy in the – so, I thankfully, he's still 99 and – or 97 or 99. Jesus, now I'm, like, questioning. What, Chase Young is 99. Bosa's 97, I think. Um, so, in the last week, and in, in this – in the Washington game, I think he was involved in every play though. Like, yes. I mean, I, I, you know, he only had one actual like sack and four pressures, but that does not capture his influence on that game. Or poor Sam Cosme. It's so unfair. It's so unfair. In his first game, just like I I would quit. I I would honestly be like, is this what football is like now? Like I would just, I'd go home. I think, you know, yes, again, with like a battered offensive line to some degree, we'll see what it looks like. I do think that's something you want to account for as well um, to mitigate that. Although the Chargers front is very different from the Bucks front, right? Because um, opposite Bosa, I mean, you know, they're they're able to get some pressure on, on the inside. Jerry Tillery was getting in there a little bit, but I think it's, they're so obviously like one dude, you just want to run away from and throw away from and everything is oriented around avoiding him as much as possible. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't think the Gallup thing will hurt them too much because beyond Amari Cooper and um, CeeDee Lamb, both of whom are amazing. I also think the Cowboys tight ends are both very good. Uh, mm-hmm. Blake Jarwin and Dal- Dalton Schutz. And I wouldn't be surprised if both of them also get a little bit more use in this game. Yeah. Like I, we talked about the bills, going empty against the Steelers to try and mm. slow down TJ Watt and how that was a bad idea. <laughs> I, I I think it might work for the Cowboys. Like I, I could see that totally. being the way they try to attack, um, attack Staley and attack the Chargers. Um, it's, so is, hard. Is yeah. it's so hard for me to pick Cowboys games because like we literally just were like, yeah, one side of the ball, they're going to get their butts kicked. There's no chance. Good night. And yet, I'm I'm just looking at it. I'm like, they can still win though. Like I I just feel like Dak is playing at such a high level right now, and Kellen Moore. The combination of the play caller and the quarterback and the seal players are so mm-hmm. good. I I just it's hard for me to pick against them. Yeah, I mean, like they are. The Seahawks don't play different games every week, but you know the famous Kevin Clark tweet how they play. They only play weird games. The Cowboys only play this game every week. It feels like with that, where it's <laughs> going to be super high scoring. It's going to go down to the fourth quarter. Like the Cowboys are going to make really dumb mistakes along the way, um, but they're going to be unstoppable. We haven't and even talked. Yeah, their kicker, like also might not, not make. Oh, kicks uh, the now. one who cost them the game last week. Yeah, that could be a concern. Although to be fair, they are facing the Chargers and. Dude. The Chargers, until like, I mean, I understand their kicker was fine last week, right? Chargers are normal now. They won the close game. That that game that they won last week, they don't win that game mm-hmm. in the past. 
And the Seahawks, you mentioned. They, so the, the Seahawks played a normal game last week. So maybe things are just different around the NFL. Let's talk about the Seahawks game. Let's wrap up. We're, we should get to this. Tight, Titan Seahawks. Um, this was a game that looked super sexy before the season. <laughs> um, let, okay, let's just start with the Titans. Like, on a scale of one through that gif of Donald Glover walking into the room on fire with his pizza, <laughs> where are you? With the Titans? Mm-hmm. Pre- pretty, I mean, I, I was skeptical of the Titans before the year. I had them on my list of teams most likely to decline in oh, 2021. Wow. Okay. Ready, gonna just check that one. <laughs> I'm not checking that off, to be clear. That's a joke. Don't get angry at me on Twitter. They will probably Titans fans are rev. win 12 games. Yeah, they are. And like under like I've I don't have any negative things to say about Tennessee typically. Like I think they're fine. I called them, I think, like Patriots South once and people got mad at me, but that's what they are. That's oh, fine if that's what they want to do. Patriots. Yeah. Right. Um I I was pretty bummed about how they looked on offense. Okay. That's what I want to talk about. It felt like it felt like they did not have like their plan A was bad and their plan B was non existent. And I think, sorry. Oh, I didn't say anything. I just did a deep sigh. It was oh. a deep, deep pained sigh. Um, Dessert. Yeah, let's, Dessert. let's talk about the, let's talk about the Titans offense versus the Seahawks defense. Um, because I had talked myself back into the Titans. Off- I talked myself out of them after Arthur Smith left and Johnny Smith and mm-hmm. Corey Davis. And I was worried about the offensive line. And then they trade for Julio. And I'm like, oh, everything's fine. Todd Downing, who cares what the past? The past is the past. He's got the playbook. Everything's going to be fine. And I really, Bill, I hate just screaming play action. I feel like it's become such a cliche. But what yes. the hell? And I hate here's, here's I hate whining about guys who run on every first down because mm-hmm. sometimes it makes sense. But again, I repeat, what the hell? <laughs> okay, you just floor is that yours. Be, that, can that be can that be an NFL live segment where you just complain for ten seconds and then yell what the hell at a random coach? There's an actual like segment on Max Kellerman's new show called What the Hellerman. Oh my it's god. Real, it's a Is Dominique part of that segment? I don't I don't know, but I hope so. <laughs> I um here's here's my my confusion. So do you have the numbers for Tennessee and play action in this game? Yes, I do. 7.3% of dropbacks. <laughs> That's not a lot. Not, not a lot for a team that ran it at a super high rate over the past yes. couple of years. And by the way, we're really good. Ryan Tannehill is like the best play action quarterback of our lifetime. Yes. And so here's the That's thing. Like, an exaggeration, but yeah. Like, if you're a traditional football person, you are going to say, well, Tennessee didn't run play action because they weren't establishing the run. And they did not. They were terrible running the football in that game. Derrick Henry had 17 carries, 58 yards. He was less successful than even those numbers with just, they had five first downs via the run all game. I think maybe two of those were Tannehill. At least one was the touchdown. Yeah, yeah, the touchdown and a 16-yarder. So three first downs from their running backs in that game. That wasn't the problem, though. They didn't run play action because they couldn't protect Ryan Tannehill on any sort of five or seven step drop. And so it was like it was it was like watching high school tape. And I don't watch high school tape, but, you know, like when they like they will show clips of someone from high school who's in the NFL and he's like the biggest player on the field by 20 Chandler like, Jones, <laughs> 20 pounds. That's what Chandler Jones looked like in that game. He was incredible. Um, 
and they had no answer. And the part that concerns me is not that they didn't run play action the way that Tennessee did the last couple of years, because I don't think they could have and kept Ryan Tannehill afloat. But like, why didn't they max protect? So that, why did yes. they come out with seven, eight blockers, go play action, and then sell out to stop Chandler Jones and just say, okay, the Cardinals have the worst cornerbacks in football. We're going to take a shot at our receivers who, by the way, are A.J. Brown and Julio freaking Jones. And the crazy thing is, Mina, they max protected three times in that game. And one of them was the 39-yard pass that Tendahill had to, who was it who had the long catch in this game? It wasn't one of the top two guys. It, was it wasn't Julio Jones, who's on my fantasy team. <laughs> I think it was Chester Rogers. It was Chester Rogers. Oh, he one was like the was, leading receiver in this game. He was. And then one of them was like a 15-yard catch for one of the other guys. But like, like if you're going to do play action in that game, given the given what's happening, that's what you have to do is just max protect and take a so, shot to your you know, on a two-man route. And they didn't do that. At any, they it, barely did that. And that's the frustrating thing. It was insane that they just let Chandler Jones tee off. Like after, after the first one, I was like, whoa, okay, geez, Taylor Lamont, wow, thought you were better than that. And then happened again. I was like, okay, all right, okay, someone, you know, like this isn't going so well. And then at some point, Taylor Lamont went out. I forgot who they brought in to replace him, but um, it was like malpractice at a certain point. And God knows the, the tight ends. So, you know, we talk about John U. Smith being gone. So it, it's um well they've got Ferkser, who's more the pass catcher, but yeah, um Ferkser, Pruitt and Swain. Swain. Yeah, they weren't helping. Yeah. I mean No. Yeah, like this was I don't I so I wanna just I don't blame Ryan Tannehill for anything that happened in this football game. He was under siege. It was a nightmare. So, you know, look, Seattle does not have anyone nearly as good as Chandler Jones. But Bill, like they have a decent pass rush now, right? You saw in the yes. Colts game, like they've they've they have like a mm-hmm. bunch of like solid guys now and a lot of depth. And that's something I'm just very curious about in this one because Seattle's defense, similar to Arizona, the weakness is the cornerback group. They weren't mm-hmm. really tested by the Colts, right? No. And and in part because they were w- really winning up front. So I want to see, like, okay, if you're at Tennessee and you just got destroyed up front what are you going to do to mitigate that this time so that you can take advantage of the fact that you have two cent you know like i was about to say center i was trying to think like just two like a kaijus playing wide receiver how are you going to get them the football how are you going to buy yourself some time even though like again seattle's not as good as chandler jones but they don't have anyone like that but i'm just saying it's still it wasn't just chandler jones by the way who was causing problems for them up front I mean, what do you think their actual solution is going to be? Because I think my my expected solution is they are just going to hand the ball to Derrick Henry and hope yes. that he is more productive than he was a week ago. Um, I don't know if that's the right solution. I think again, I would I would max protect more. I would try and just again sell out to try and protect Tannehill and trust that one of those two guys is going to get a mismatch. And I mean, they are a mismatch no matter what cornerback group we're looking at in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's what you have to do more of, but I mean, I don't want to be critical of Todd Downing after one game, but like, this is a guy who inherited a, an offense in Oakland at the time, changed their running game, got less out of pretty much every player on that offense and had to leave after the season. Like, 
the early returns are not promising. I, I want to see something that plays to his team's strengths and actually accounts for what happened in week one. But I think the more likely scenario is we're just going to see more Derrick Henry and in the hope that they're not stuck in third and long again. I do think they'll have more success with Derrick Henry I do too. Than, than they did in week one. Yeah. Um, Derrick Henry also on my fantasy team. Not a great week for the Mina Kimes team versus Nate Tice. Um, but yeah, I I I I think they're just going to hit that really, really, really hard. Um, I mean, like the, like the Colts, for example, last week, they had a lot. Of, they had some success, especially in the red zone. I think with lining up three guys on one side of the field and daring the Seahawks to go to nickel, and the Seahawks did not. I think in a just and right world, when it comes to Tennessee's offense. You would have Julio Jones and A.J. Brown on the same side of the field. And I would dare the Seahawks to match up with Bobby Wagner, who, Hall of Fame player, awesome. Not a guy who can cover Julio Jones one-on-one or A.J. Brown one-on-one. I would dare them to match up that way because then you can get a matchup I, opportunity. And I don't think they can do that. I, I don't think they're going to do that. I would, I, if they were to do that. I think I, Seattle played a little bit more nickel than I actually expected, uh, Bill, in the last game. So mm-hmm. I think they... I'm, I'm thinking about the... Was it the Pascal touchdown or the first Pascal touchdown? I think they were. Yeah, I think you're right. Their base. Yeah. But, but again, if, if Derrick Henry's working, then, hey, you can have the team stay in base. You can yeah. force them to not bring on the, the a fifth defensive back. And I think that's why their solution is going to be, okay, let's give it to Derrick Henry and hope that that stops. Yeah, and, and, and that it changes things for us and that eventually those opportunities open up later. Um, on the other side of the football, um, God, it just got so out of hand for Tennessee so quickly in the first game on both sides, mm-hmm. frankly, that um, like this was already a group. I was already worried about this unit and mm-hmm. which Kyler Murray basically. He like took it apart. I, it was like a <sighs> trying to think it, 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 this. It was just like really, really hard to watch the Titans defense against it, Kyler Murray. It it felt like he could extend plays at will for as long as he wanted I, it, until yeah. somebody got open. It was one of those. Yes, that's a great way to put it. It was like one of those performances where you're like, man, playing defense sucks. <laughs> You've been running. This, dude, this little this little dude's been running around for like 20 minutes back there. It feels like 20 minutes sometimes. And Jack Jenkins Beyonce is doing so mad. Um. Kyler, I thought you were going to say Kyler Murray, who already called me op. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> really hurtful, fellow Korean. I mean, like, you're right. Like, it was... It they Like, they had no hope. So, they just don't really have the manpower. I mean, so, okay, so we're, we're looking at it. It's on to this week. So, they're playing Seattle, which is unfortunately also a very good offense. I believe a very different sort of offense. Like if you're Tennessee and you saw what Russell Wilson did last week versus the Colts, you saw that offense, which was um, we could talk about a little bit different from Seattle offenses of past. Like how do you handle DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett? Hmm. What is your overall approach? If you're if you're Tennessee, I don't know that there is a way for you to handle Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. I think you have to hope that your pass rush is enough of a problem 
that it forces Russ off the spot. And then you can force, you know, contested throws or uh, you can be forced an interception, which they did. They they did get a pick in this game. But I mean, their pass rush, which they invested a lot in this offseason, they signed Bud Dupree, they brought in Danico Autry. They like they basically swapped. They had an expensive secondary and a what had been a cheap pass rush, and then they they um, they signed Jadavia and Clowney to a one year deal. They basically cut most of their secondary outside of Kevin Byard and rebuilt that on the cheap, and then used their savings to go out and sign Bud Dupree to a big deal and Autry to a, a meaningful deal. And the early returns were not impressive. Like again, like Kyler had all day and. Had all day to the extent that he was able to scramble across the field. He was able to find open receivers. He was able to make throws that it, you know, like he is a great quarterback, but like he's not the kind of player where I'm expecting him to throw from one hash to the opposite sideline. Just not really his game. And he was able to do that in this game because Tennessee was not close enough in zone and not close enough in terms of creating pressure to give him any reason to worry about it. And it's only week, only week two. This mm-hmm. is a defense that has a lot of new pieces, and you would hope, I guess, that um, the defense is going to improve as the season goes along, but I don't know if that's going to come in time for week two. Yeah, I, I like some of their young DBs, like Christian Fulton and Elijah Molden. I just, you know, it, it's it's kind of like a baptism by fire start yes. for their season. I think Jeffrey Simmons could be a big factor in this game. Um, Ethan Posich, who's Seattle's center, got hurt during mm-hmm. the game. So I'm not sure what the status of that is. Uh, and, you know, I gave Jackson struggled a little bit too, as well. So who they traded for. So, uh, you know, stood fourth Buckner is very difficult, but I, I think on the inside is where you've seen at times Seattle struggle to protect Russell Wilson. And even in this Colts game, by the way, in which the Seahawks offense, you know, for large stretches of the game was pretty dominant and, did some mm-hmm. cool stuff. You know, he was under pressure a lot. R- R- Wilson was. Um, he just did like Russell Wilson things. Like he made his characteristic insane throws, right? Um, yes. He also, but there was like, a, it was a little, it was definitely a different offense from last year, Bill. Um, mm-hmm. So new coordinator, Shane Waldron. It's not totally different. It's not an exact replica of the McVay offense, for example, but you did see them using both of their tight ends. They traded for Gerald Everett, Everett pardon me, from the Rams. And uh, Will Disley, who looks like Danny Kelly, is, uh, was also productive in the last game. And you saw them using like a little bit more window dressing, jet sweeps to great, to, to, that worked well with D. Eskridge, who might be out mm-hmm. in this game. Um, and, you know, the Colts linebackers, I thought, looked pretty discombobulated at times by it. Um, but notably, I think it wasn't like boom or bust, like, they had a few mm-hmm. drives that petered out, but you saw Wilson getting a little bit more underneath opportunities that generated yards after the catch, which was something that Seattle mm-hmm. really struggled with, especially against, you know, two high shell defenses last year. So it's. What was I the think, Tyler Lockett quote? Oh, he said a few things. He said people knew what we were doing. We have to be able to like play different kinds of defenses. He was very like, this is so last year for the Tyler Lockett was pretty explicit about being frustrated with the offensive scheme. That's what you're referring to, right? And I mean, does he say something about cover two? Like he's like, Oh, we didn't have solutions for cover two. And now we, he might've, uh, you're right. He might've, 
this is something that jumped out to me. Um, so Wilson did not throw it a lot. They ran it, and they ran it very efficiently in this game. Chris Carson fumbled, but otherwise he had 91 yards on 16 carries. But there were 18 completions, I think on 24 attempts, and half of them were to running backs and tight ends. Again, that's different for Seattle versus the past. So there's definitely changes afoot with the Seahawks. How did you feel about the run pass split here? Did you feel like it was like, because that is of course the great, the perennial yeah, I know. debate. Like, did it I thought line? it was fine because the run was working. Like Chris Carson was really efficient in this game. I think for me, it, 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 there were, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I get frustrated when it feels like they're running into a brick wall. Yes. Like if you're going to pack the box. Funny. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, I agree. Didn't feel like that was the case in this game. It's not the offensive line I thought was pretty good. Like, I know they had some struggles here and there, but it felt like there were times where Wilson had a ton of time to throw, and he did make some great plays where he was running around, but I felt like that was not the entirety of the offense. I feel like it was the case at times in the past couple of years. Yeah, it just felt, like, easier, you know? (laughs) Everything looked – even though it It wasn't – yeah, well, it, it, so much of the offense in the recent years has just been like, hey, Russell Wilson, go be special on third down. And it didn't feel like it was like, oh, wow, it's like a little slant to Gerald Everett, who then just got three additional yards. Like, <laughs> wow, an effective screen game. Who knew that was a thing that could exist? But but we got a really weird Michael Dixon pun in the season. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's where... Like, like no part of the Seahawks can be normal. That's true. Not, not every part of the Seahawks can be normal. So now it's just going to be a weird special teams here. Like the old, like, you know, the Seahawks teams that would just lose to the Rams in 2013. I wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee sits back and really tries to take out the deep play just because they don't. Wouldn't that I be mean, what you would do? Yeah, that's what that would do. Every team should do that. <laughs> you saw what happened to Kari Willis. Don't that's like a PSA. <laughs> Holy smokes, twice. Just put Kari Willis on a poster and say, don't do this. Poor guy. He had a he had a sack right before the Tyler Lockett play. He's you know, guy feeling so good about himself. Maybe he has a sack bonus. Like he's like, you know, his whole family's gonna be excited. And then he just gets melted to the, like the earth on the is play. still so good. And it's it's that's the other thing about the offense is like just the complementary pieces, you know, like they seem to all fit together really well. Again, I hope Eskridge is fine because I, that that they, they used him exactly how I was hoping, which was stretching the field horizontally, right? Like he's a super fast guy. This is their first draft mm-hmm. pick last year, and it's like okay, well, we got a bunch of super fast guys, but the problem has not been the deep passing game. It's been kind of other pieces of this offense and making defenses defend the whole field. So that was nice to see. Um, okay. I was going to say something nice about, well, I want to say something nice about the Titans, but okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, no, I wanted you to. <laughs> oh no, I don't have anything nice to say about the Titans. I was going to ask you if Chris Carson fumbles this week, will you start screaming at Chris Carson every time he gets the ball? Where are they on the football field in this situation? Where are they on the football field? Let's say, if, if let's it's say, like at uh, the, uh, yeah. Let's say on Tennessee side of the field, but not not inside the 10-yard line. That's fine. Okay. okay. I won't scream. He's a really good running back. He's really good at, like, everything. He's like an okay. He's like a solid receiver. He's not an incredible receiver, but, like, he can do. That's true. He is a good receiver. receiver. Yeah. He's a basketball But he's, a, he's a, like, he is a, 
I, I know as a nerd, I know as someone who is very skeptical of running backs, I, I just am going to say that all running backs are equal and you can plug anybody in and get the exact same results. That's not true. I feel like Chris Carson is a legitimately like excellent runner in, between yes. the tackles. Like he is better than 95% of other NFL running backs. He's not good. It's not like incredible at like, you know, doing the Saquon Barkley and like making six guys miss. He's not going to be a guy who is going to like run for an 90 yard touchdown very often, but like, at the core job of like, I'm going to keep my team on schedule. I am going to get the most display is blocked for, and I'm going to make a guy miss the end. I think Chris Carson is phenomenal at that. Positive Titans things. Derrick Henry's going to have a better game. You don't have to play Chandler Jones again. Every week. Um, Todd Downing can't be worse than he was week one. <laughs> I feel like I mean it. Um, like I said, I like Elijah Molden and Chris Fulton. Um, Je- I think Jeffrey Simmons is going to be more impactful than he was week one, too. So. I agree. Um, Taylor Lewan will probably not get booed for stepping on the field like he did uh, during the game last week. All right. I felt so bad. Like, like, like these are, these are the same guys who like are are like cheered wildly for going to Nashville Predators, yeah, and drinking beers with their shirts off. Like, these are the same fans turning on them. It hurts me to see. Uh, the bond that was built at the Predators game broken by a few Chandler Jones sacks. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Let's wrap, as always, with a few questions for Bill. Dinks and Dunks are a part of ESPN Nation, brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Bill, we didn't talk about... I got into the Cowboys two weeks in a row. Darn nabbit. Okay, I promise next week, NFC East fans to do a non... I, w- I will not talk about the Cowboys, and I will talk about another team in the NFC East instead. But I want to ask mm-hmm. you this. So w- you, you alluded to Fitzpatrick getting hurt, Taylor Heineke coming in. Um, Eagles had a really nice start to the season. Do you have a take on who wins the NFC East? Who do, who, why do I have a take? Do, who's going to win the NFC East? Do you know I have the word take muted on Twitter? Really? God, I wouldn't I get anything then if I had that. <laughs> Might be for the best. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I only have one phrase. Uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm cheating. Oh, I'm afraid to ask. It's you're better uh, my... than this. <laughs> that I, I have take. I think I have still think. Like, you know, still think that blank. I have still think uh, muted. I don't think I have anything else. Oh, I, I lied. I also had uh, Daniel Jones because for a while, Giants fans were so mad at me. Oh, I'm in. Yeah, as it turns out, uh, all the concerns you had about Daniel Jones seem to be valid. Weird. Um, hasn't That's we'll not come up. Maybe the, the official. All right, who's winning the NFC East? The official team account. Uh, Eagles. I think the Eagles are going to win. The team Eagles! I had as a team. Why, not, why is that so crazy? That was talking about this i that is wow so i do a okay so i loved i loved what i saw but i also realized they were playing the falcons so i'm like i'm i'm not ready to i know they're the you know they're great in the trenches really liked yeah what i saw bill wow wow i love this i I love this egg i'll double up i'll double up eagles will win the division and I think Gardner Minshew will oh. start 
No. At least one home game for the Eagles. I don't like that. Not because Jalen Hurts, not because Jalen Hurts is going to get benched, just because Jalen Hurts is going to get hurt. Oh. I don't want him to get hurt, but. Why is that better? I'm like, oh, that's okay. I I just didn't (laughs) like the idea of Jalen Hurts being, oh, I don't want him to get hurt, but I'd rather have him miss a game due to a minor injury. Um, Yes. Hangnail. He has a hangnail and can't play. The Eagles. Wow. Fly, Eagles, fly. The the thing you said of like, oh, they're great in the trenches, but then like you wrote that off as like, oh well, that doesn't matter in terms of winning. I division. could beat like, the Falcons in the trenches though. Okay, but like they have good players. Like yeah, we know they really the guys they have they are do. good. Yeah. Yeah. They they just were all injured last year when Jalen Hurts was playing quarterback. Dude, their offensive and line is so good. The offensive line also the guy they drafted in the first round, who was really good in college, like the best player on the field. In college last year, I love also so really good at the NFL. I'm like, he is going to be a folk hero in he's Philadelphia. My, I keep saying that. He's to be a folk hero for the skinny arms community as well. The Brandon Ingram <laughs> arms community. I love him so much. Our friend, our buddy Nate Tice, we really do. He, he has a great newsletter that you guys should subscribe to. I'm sure he links to it in his Twitter. And he has a uh, today he wrote about Devonte Smith. I I have Devonte Smith in my ESPN fantasy team which just beat matt barry although i feel like i shouldn't say that out loud um and i was so i was doubly thrilled to see him score all right this was so long i feel like we're only going to do two questions because this whole podcast is really long okay um but um fascinating the eagles wow you really threw me for a loop i didn't see that coming wow Who else? okay like like Okay, so we're, yeah. like the other options are a team that just lost their quarterback for yeah. an extended period of time very good defense the cowboys who are, whose defense is basically Swiss cheese. But, and the Giants, they've got they've, who, the Cowboys have a legitimate MVP candidate as quarterback, in my opinion. So you're picking the Cowboys? I don't know. That's why I asked you. But I thought you were gonna just say the Cowboys, and I'd be like, all right, sure, the Cowboys. Wow, you threw me for a loop. I okay, who that, are the that sounds like you're picking the Cowboys? Who are the Eagles playing? This week. Uh this week the Eagles are playing the Niners. Ooh. That's gonna be a fun game. That is gonna be a good game. Niners brutal injuries. Yes. I mean, like that's a game where George Kittle could like catch three touchdown passes and Devontae Smith could have like a 95 yard touchdown. Yeah. Oh man. You just, also okay. like I, I love, I love Jason Verrett. I'm so sad he's hurt, but like we could have told you. I mean, the whole secondary is not just, on, yeah, Jason Verrett is your number one cornerback for, heading into the season. Forget Jason Verrett. The entire secondary is guys with injury history, okay. and it's a problem yeah. for them. Um, okay, I'm going to do one more question and then Lenny's question. Okay. Uh, the one more question I want to ask you is how big of a believer are you on a range from one to eating the W in the New Orleans Saints? like halfway all right so walk me through it okay so they are not gonna have two 15 play drives back to back they're not gonna be in a situation where Jameis is gonna have you know a 25 point lead and not have to throw to get this team back in the game that's just not how it's gonna work week after week and we know they are a super super top heavy team and they've already lost michael thomas which sucks, and I hope that he's back. They just lost Eric McCoy this week, which is a real bummer because he's a really That's talented big. interior lineman. But like, they are a team that 
sort of like last year's Cowboys, sort of like plenty of other top heavy teams in years past where like they have eight superstars and their path to being successful is having eight of those superstars on the field all year. And if everything goes right for them, like it did in the game on Sunday, they'll be fine. But like, I think what I need to see is can Jameis be that guy when they're trailing by 10 points? Is he going to be a guy who is controlled and works effectively out of the pocket or is he going to panic? And, And I think I thought he was fine in this game, but he was not as good as the passer rating. Yeah, it's to get one week. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think yeah, I, the Packers' defense was like a big takeaway for me in this one. Oh boy, huh? I the reason I watch, I wanted to give the Packers one more week. A lot of like the crazy games, I was like, yeah, let me give this another week and kind of you know like chew it over because I don't want to like panic yet. I think Rogers is going to be a lot better, but um. I'll give it another one. You don't think he's going to throw two picks? And I don't think I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to be the, the worst quarterback in football again. Somehow, I I mean, like I had the Saints before the year as like a nine and eight team. Yeah, is that fair? You think? I think they could suppress that. Thomas I, comes I back. On Yamada comes back, and I think, yeah, we'll see. I mean, Jameis did play very well, so. Um. As always, last question comes from Lenny, of course. So uh, Lenny wants you to know that not only does he listen to the Barnwell show, he's an avid reader of your columns. He loves when you predict teams that are likely to improve and decline. And he he remembered that last year, um, not that, you know, around this time, you had Seattle mm. uh, as a team most likely to decline. So he just wants to know how does it feel to do, be so wrong? <laughs> That's how he put it. How many how many O's were in so wrong when he wrote that question? He said it, first of all. He didn't write it. Oh, he said it. Sorry. Oh, so, I mean, he's very talented. I wouldn't put it past Lenny to be a successful writer. Um, it hurt. It hurt because like I had a I think they were the first team I've nominated in that column to win more games than they had the prior year. And you'll notice, even though they were a candidate for that column this year, I I was wondering about that. I was wondering if you were scared. Oh, I love this. The answer is I'm scared of Russell Wilson. I'm scared of Pete Carroll. I'm scared of Jamal Adams. I'm scared of DK Metcalf. I'm scared of you. I'm scared of Cable Thanos. (laughs) I'm scared of Seahawks. I'm scared of the entire Seahawks industrial complex. (laughs) 